Um, if you're all there, say amen. 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 Good. This music stand isn't going to cooperate, is it? Oops. It's going down, but not. There we go. Sorry about that. I'll read through the first two verses because um, there's so much in there. Paul always opens his letters with so much. It's They're theologically deep, if, and they're really deep if you want to take it that far. I'm not going that far tonight, I promise, because we'd be here all evening on the first two verses. In fact, I thought we were going to be on the first two verses this morning with John. <laughs> Half the sermon was the first two verses of um, Acts 2. Yeah. Anyway, Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts out with his name and his status or his office or position within the church. He's an apostle. We know he's an apostle. Um, he was appointed by God to be an apostle. Could you imagine going through what Paul did? Paul was a great persecutor of the church, and he would go from church to church to church, hauling people out to persecute them and kill them. And when Stephen was being stoned, Paul was there holding his the jackets of those throwing the rocks. Paul wasn't a nice guy. Not at all. But yet we see here, He's an apostle by the grace of God. Do you know we are nothing without the grace of God except for wicked people? You take the grace of God out of any of our lives, and we're still lost in our sin. But God can take even a Paul and transform his life into an apostle. There's only 12 apostles. We don't count Judas because, you know, we know what he did and where he went. Not a great guy. But Paul was an apostle. An apostle simply means one who bears the New Testament message. A bearer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One who takes it out, sent out one. And, uh, you know, any of us except for the fact that there's no apostles, could fill that role. So we need to be very conscientious about you know, how we think about Scripture. Paul's commission came directly from Christ. Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded by an intense light. And a voice came from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, at the time, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? He knew. It was Jesus. Jesus, the Savior, who died for Paul's sins and died for our sins. You know, what a beautiful story. Knocked him right off his horse, we believe, and he had to be led into Damascus because he was blinded by that light. Here's proud Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Incredible position in the spiritual hierarchy of the Jewish people. And here he is blinded and having to be led by the hand into Damascus. 
where, by the way, he was going to kill more Christians and imprison the ones he didn't kill. But the grace of God stopped him. Blinded him right there on the road. You know, it says, by the will of God. Paul, of course, considered himself the least of the apostles. If you look at Acts 15, 7 through 10a. I'm not organized enough to have little tabs in here, so you'll have to give me a second. Oops, I went too far. Acts 15, 7 through 10. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you. Oops, that's not it. Well, I don't know where it's at now. I'm sorry about that. Um, But the passage I was looking for where Paul talked about how he considered himself to be the least of the apostles. In fact, he said, like one abnormally born. You know, that would be like a child out of wedlock. One abnormally born, not even worthy to be born into the Christian faith like he was. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? And it wasn't by any kind of qualification he had. He didn't earn the right to be an apostle. It was a position that was granted to him by God, just like us. Raise your hand if you deserve to be a Christian. If you've done so many good things, you deserve to be a Christian. You know, Oliver is one of my best friends in the church, and he loves talking with Mormons. So sometimes I'm with him, and we talk to Mormons. And they believe that they're saved by God after they've done everything that they can. How do you measure that? It's an impossibility. How could I do everything that I can and then be saved? How do you know when you've reached that? That's what I find amazing. You know, that's why we consider them such a false religion, because it's all works-based. Even if I did my whole life doing the best things I could to earn the grace of God, I'd never make it. Never. It's impossible. This verse also talks about the faithful saints in Ephesus. And I love the way Paul addresses the people that he's writing to. They were faithful saints. And if you're here and you're a believer, you're probably a faithful saint. You're out here on a Sunday night. You probably already heard the word somewhere this morning. You're out because you're hungry for more of the word of God. So faithful saints. Um, in Greek, it's um, pistoi hagioi. I took three semesters of Greek. 
and sometimes my pronunciation is still terrible. But it's such a great, beautiful language because there's so much depth to meaning that we miss in English. Um, pistoi is um, one of the noun forms of pistuo, which is the verb form of what word we translate as believe. Um, unfortunately, believe isn't a really good definition of pistuo because pistuo includes the whole thought of believe to the point where you put your full faith and trust in it. And for us, that's God. You know, you think of uh, the other things that we find real easy to put our faith and trust in. I was thinking, you know, your electric company. How many of you walk into your house and you flick a switch and you don't doubt whether or not the light's going to come on, do you? You plug in your toaster, you don't doubt whether it's going to work. I think sometimes we have more faith in the power company who fails so much here that it's ridiculous, but still we place our faith and trust in it. And why? It's unworthy of our faith and trust. Only God is worthy of our faith and trust. So that's what he desires of us, to have our full faith and trust invested in him. The word for um, saints here is hagioi. Um, it's normally used to refer to Christians, but it also includes the idea of a, an inward personal consecration to God. Um, it doesn't just mean holy or, or um, saint. It's that, that deeper meaning of that um, person who invests their full faith and trust in God. It, it doesn't include the idea of, um, you know, you could be a, a carnal Christian or a fake Christian or uh, be a Christian just because you come to church every Sunday. I grew up in the Baptist church and... Bar Harbor. We had people that were faithful to come Sunday morning after Sunday morning after Sunday morning. And soon as the noon whistle blew down there, if you're familiar with Bar Harbor, the fire department blows a whistle at noon and at 9 p.m. Um, whether the service was over or not, these people just get up and walk out. To them, it was over. The noon whistle blew. They had about as much faith as that. <laughs> this is talking about people who have really invested themselves in living a life for Christ. Uh, just an interesting point, not much of a spiritual thing. At Ephesus wasn't in the earliest manuscripts, but we know through the letter that it addresses the Ephesians. So whether at Ephesus was in this first verse or not is pretty meaningless. But anyway, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace carries so much meaning. Um, I just love the word peace, shalom in Hebrew. And that's the word that would have been here. It doesn't mean just a lack of conflict like we think of peace. It means the well-being of the total person, spiritually, physically, and mentally. And it was a greeting. 
Hebrew people, when they met, would say shalom because they had that desire in their heart for this person to, to receive that kind of peace that can only be attained through God. God is the only source of peace that can be like that. I know there's so many people in the world, they think meditating is going to give them peace, you know. Whatever they're meditating on, I'm not sure. When I meditate, I meditate on the word of God. I, I meditate on the attributes of God and, and his mercy and his grace and, and his great love. If you've never meditated on those things, take some time and meditate on those. You want peace? That'll bring peace into your life more than anything. And it'll be the peace of God, not not a fake peace, like, you know, repeating the same mantra over and over and over and over again, like other people do when they meditate. Christian meditation is filling the mind with good, filling the mind with the word of God, with attributes of God, not emptying the mind like other false religions. Their goal is to empty the mind, and they think they can find peace through emptying their mind. It doesn't happen. Not like the peace that we can have. I mean, you look around us. The world has fallen apart. <laughs> it's, it's coming apart at the seams. I mean, we're on the verge of World War III with, with China and Russia. They're ready to push the nuclear button. They've been talking about it for months. I'm praying that it never happens. But who knows? You know, you've got a crazy man like Putin over there. you got someone like Biden that's just poking him as much as he can to, to stir him up. He's not helping the situation. There's going to be food shortages all summer because lack of fertilizer and drought and everything else is going on in the world. There's, there's nations and countries that have no food right now. Fortunately, we still have it here in America, but for how long? You know, but even in the midst of all that, we can have the peace of God. We don't have to worry because I know who holds my hand. It's my Savior. And I can have that, that peaceful feeling that doesn't come from anywhere else. And it can't come from anywhere else because God is the author of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he's my Savior. He's the one that died for me. Grace, of course, is just unmerited favor. I love that. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's unmerited favor. I can't do anything to deserve God's favor. I can't do anything to make him love me more. And I can't do anything to make him love me less because he's a God of love. He goes on to talk about praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This verb phrase here, praise be to, is used in the New Testament only of God and Christ. Never once is it ever used for anything else. There's nothing worthy of that sort of praise. I don't know if, how many of you have seen Oliver's new tattoo. Um, 
next time you see Oliver, he's got Carice on this arm. It's Greek for grace, and his daughter's name, Carice. And on this arm, it's proskuneto. Proskuneto is worship. And it's not just stand in church and raise your hand kind of worship and sing a couple songs. It's down-on-your-face worship. Prostrate before God, faced in the dirt, worshiping God, who is our creator and the lover of our souls. That's the kind of worship it's talking about here when it says, praise be. Um, the Jewish people, when they wanted to introduce a, a, like a stanza of praise in a song, would say, blessed be God. And that's the same idea here as except it's in Greek, it's um, praise be to God. This kind of praise is only worthy of God's attention. This kind of praise should never be lavished on anybody else, but it should come generously and freely from our hearts to God. Sure, someone does good, you have an employee, you want to praise them. But not like this. Not like this at all. This is the only kind of praise that should be reserved for our Lord and Master. If he is our Lord and Master. You know, Lord means Master. Is Christ your Master? Does he own you? Are you his slave? Because that's who Paul is writing to. People who have devoted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as a slave. And that's what they're talking about here. Not like a part-time savior. Um, I know it's controversial, but I believe in lordship salvation. He's either lord of all or not lord at all. And you wouldn't believe what kind of controversy that raises. People who don't want to live a devoted life to Christ don't want to make him the master of their life. They don't want him interfering with every decision that they make. You know, and I'm, I'm guilty. I've gone out and made major purchases and done things that I should have prayed about before I did. You know, why, what, why do we not do that? It's because we're still a little bit carnal in here. Still got too much of me on the throne. And that's easy to do, especially in this country where we're taught you're number one. Look out for number one first. You know, how how often do you hear that like in advertising and, and everything else that's bombarding us day in and day out? God is the one who blesses us and is talking about this blessing is the saving events. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. Those are the blessings he's talking about. You know, when it says, um, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Oops, am I, oh, I'm into verse 3 already. I'm sorry. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Did it say some spiritual blessings in Christ? Uh -uh. Every, every 
Have you ever thought of that? You know, when I prepared stuff like this for the men's Bible study, I'm just blown away when you start thinking through that process, what is every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ? Well, number one would be salvation. The free gift of grace that he bestows upon us, that he, he died so that we could be saved. He willingly gave his life up. He doesn't withhold any spiritual blessing from us. All we have to do is desire him. And the spiritual blessings come to us when we're desiring him more than anything else. You know, those spiritual blessings include the gifts of the Spirit. We were talking about that this morning in service. You can find those in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. You got the love chapter right in between because you can easily use those gifts without the love. And that's why God put that chapter right in between the two, two chapters on the spiritual gifts. Those are all available to us. The Bible says to seek the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, because it's the one that's the most beneficial. But there's other spiritual gifts. There's the gifts of healing, which is plural. I don't know why that one's the only one that's plural, but it's plural. There's so many other gifts that are available to us. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, I'm sure... Some of you know it by heart. I'm going to look it up just so I don't mess it up. If you start in 19, which I won't, it goes through all of the, you know, the acts of the sinful nature, which, you know, 19 through 21. Just you can read that and look at our world and you can see it all. It's all out there. But in 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's all available to us. If you need love, if you need joy, if you need peace, Patience, kindness. If you need to be more merciful, I need to be more merciful. Because I tend to look down sometimes on people who, who fail. And I shouldn't be looking down at all on them. I should be going to them and lifting them up. But all of these things are available to us. There's none of it that's ever withheld from us. God is a God of love. He doesn't want to withhold his good gifts from us because he's a good father. He wants us to be a partaker of all that's good, that's available. And we, we cut ourselves short on that a lot of the time. We'll get in traffic and lose your sanctification because someone cut you off. Where, where's the patience there? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? Where's the love? You know, just think about how often we just, Lose, the, lose these, these wonderful things that God has paid a huge price for, for us to have. The, the value of the gifts is 
measured by the price paid to obtain them. I want to say that again because I want that to sink in. The value of these gifts are measured by the price paid to obtain them. Jesus paid a great price so that we can be partakers of all these wonderful things. And that's how you measure their value. And that's how you measure our value to Christ, to the Father. What a blessing to think I was lost in sin and now I have value to my God. It's just beyond comprehension when you really think through it all. What a great God we have. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I did I threw five in there too. All of the blessings that we experience have their source and eternal purpose in God. God purpose from before time before the world was even created to save us. We were chosen and predestined by God before he even created the world because of his knowledge. He knew us before we were even born or thought of. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? And yet he chose to love us to the point where he was willing to go to the cross for us. We are selected in Christ before creation. And, and the, the word chose here, or chosen, um, means to take a smaller number from a larger one. And it's that whole concept comes from the Old Testament in the, God's choosing of the Jewish people. God chose for himself a people in the Old Testament, the Jews. They're still God's chosen people, no matter what some people think. Um, and they will always be God's chosen people. But you see, in the New Testament, God allowed Gentiles the same privilege that the Jews had of being able to come to God and receive salvation. They looked forward to the Messiah. We look backward to the Messiah. We're all saved through the same Messiah, the same blood of Jesus as the source of our salvation. The word holy here means set apart by God to reflect his purity. I love that thought. To be set apart by God to reflect his purity. God is pure and holy. There's no sin in him. There's never been a sinful thought or temptation ever enter his mind. He can't be tempted. Nor does he tempt, you know, and and sometimes we we miss that whole point, you know, where to reflect his purity as believers. You know, God is light and in him there is no darkness. 
And I, I like to think of it in terms of the moon. We look up there and we see this beautiful moon glowing. But yet it possesses none of that light. It can't generate light. All it can do is reflect light. And that's what we are like as believers. We reflect God's light. We reflect his joy, his holiness, his purity, his peace in our lives. We have that opportunity to be like the moon. We can't generate that in and of ourselves at all. The light that we have has been given to us by God, and it's simply to reflect it. It's not to possess it. The moon can't keep its light. As soon as the sun's not shining on it, it goes out. That's why what happens when we have an eclipse. It goes completely dark. You know, so it's a, to me, it's just such a beautiful idea there that um, we can be blameless. It talks about the blamelessness here in verse um, 5. That word blameless means free from blemish like a sacrificial animal. Completely free from blemish. How many of us here feel like we're completely free from blemish? We should feel that way. Because Christ paid the price for us to feel that way. Even though we have sin that comes into our lives, Jesus forgives that sin. And sometimes we find it hard to forgive ourselves and it, it is very difficult to forgive yourself. I remember just hating myself over my sin. And I never would have overcome it had I not begun to hate the sin, not myself. Because God loved me. I was an object of his affection even in my sin. But when I started seeing my sin the way God saw it, and began to hate my sin, that's the only way you overcome it. You can't overcome sin because you hate the feeling of guilt after. You're always going to hate the feeling of guilt. That, that doesn't get you any closer to getting sin out of your life. It's, you've got to view that sin like God views it and agree with God that that sin is heinous and it's a violation of his love and grace and mercy. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Could you imagine knowing God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will? We can. It says it right here. We can know it. But to present our bodies, 
every bit of us as a living sacrifice daily. You know, when you take a sacrifice, an animal for sacrifice, it had to be spotless and blemish-free. And you killed it, and you placed it upon the altar. And depending on what type of sacrifice it was, it was either completely consumed by the fire or sometimes parts of it were just burned and the other parts were given to the, the priest for their, their pay, for their services. Now think of that in terms of us as a living sacrifice. We're to place ourselves on the altar of God every day. But we have to crucify the flesh daily. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, he must take up his cross daily and follow him. You know, a cross is a pretty thing as an ornament around your neck or in your ear. I wear a cross occasionally because it's very meaningful to me. But it's not a pretty thing in real life. It's an instrument of torture and death. And that's what God is calling us to do. He invites us to come and die. Die to self. Die to our selfishness, our, our self-serving desires and needs and wants. He wants us to be givers and lovers of other people. To live a life that's self-sacrificial. Um, we just... Happened to go over husbands, didn't we, Corey, in the men's Bible study in Ephesians. Um, husbands are to live a life that's a self-sacrificial life for their wife. They're not to live for themselves. They're to be on that altar every day, crucifying their own flesh. And, and that's what's so amazing to me. Because you don't find true peace and joy in the love of God unless you do do that. I, I lived my life as a half-baked Christian for too much of my life. And when I turned 33, it's about the same age that Jesus, we believe, was crucified. I said, that's it. I'm either going to serve Jesus fully or I'm just going to walk away. And I decided that's when I was going to become a bond slave of Jesus Christ and do what I had to do to live out this life to the fullest and the deepest and to, to share his love with others and to, to teach and to preach and to, to minister to the lost and the needy dying world that's all around us. This word for holy as applied to Christ in, in several verses. One's Hebrew is Hebrews 9:14, and another one's 1 Peter 1:19, if you take in notes. Um, it's applied to the church in Ephesians 5:27, and I'll look at that real quick for you, since it's right here. I'm going to actually go up to 25 and start there. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and in this whole section, I, I love the idea that Paul is flip-flopping between husbands and the church. Husbands and the church. 
husbands in the church. It just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because marriage, human, earthly marriage, is a picture of the church. The husband is the head and priest of his household. Christ is the head and the priest of his church. And so when he's talking about husbands, you can flip-flop. Husbands, churches, husbands, church. You know, it's because the way it is. Verse picking up in 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church, let's see church again, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, Jesus' purpose was to create a holy church to present himself a bride. You know, I don't know too many Christian guys that, you know, go out looking for a wife in the worst places of the world. Um, you know, see if you can find the greatest sinner there ever was, you know, for a woman. Hopefully not. You want to present to yourself a holy, pure bride that's submitted to Christ so that you can love her like Christ loves his church. And the same word for holy is applied to Christians in, in 2 Peter 3.14. Jude 24 and Philippians 2.15, or 2.5, 2.5, I'm sorry. It could be 2.15. I'm using handwritten notes, and my writing isn't the best, so you'll have to forgive me. In, in verse 5, I love it. It says, in love, in love, in love he predestined us. God loved us before we were anything. From before the beginning of time, God loved us. And he chose us and predestined us to become believers. Now, I'm not going to get into the theology, Arminian versus Calvin. This is one of the verses Calvinists like, hey, it's in the Bible. It's true. Whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian, this is true. There's also verses that support Arminianism that are true. That's the beauty of the mystery of salvation. It's not this or that. It's everything. You know, and I've had... You know, great Calvinist friends, but sometimes they just go crazy overboard. And I've had Arminian friends that go crazy overboard. You can go crazy overboard in either either direction. I, I prefer to take a middle road right between the two and understand that God is my, the object of my affection, not somebody else's theology and how they start thinking about things. You know, so that gives you a little perspective there. We're predestined in love, and it's because it reflects the nature and character of God to predestine us in love. Because God is love. God, you could take the is out and put an equal sign in there. God equals love. God is love. 
love personified, love in the form of a God, you know, and we we forget that. that that's the kind of love that he, he gives us. That's the kind of love we're cherished by him with, you know. So it's it reflects his nature and character to choose and to predestine, you know. What a place to be. What a beautiful place to be. Chosen and predestined by God because of his love. And we're adopted. Adopted as sons and daughters. And not only adopted, but given all of the rights and privileges of family. When someone was adopted in the Roman culture, they weren't just, you know, like the red-headed stepchild, you know, they were fully adopted into the family. They had all the rights and privileges of being a family member. And that's what we are as Christians. We're adopted into the family of God. You guys are my brothers and my sisters. You know, and the, the love that we get to share with each other because we are family. And sometimes I, there's tension. Of course there's going to be tension. But usually the tension comes from the fact that either I'm not loving or somebody else isn't loving. But I, I, I had better be looking at myself first instead of at someone else because it's often the fact that I'm not the one that's loving. You know, because I need to tap into the source of that every day and stay connected. I mean, you plug something into the wall, you expect it to work. We need to plug into God every day to receive that power just to live in this world. You know, it takes a lot of strength and power to live in this world and to, to walk through a day without, you know, being bombarded by something. You know, it's crazy, the world we live in. I was, used to work at Walmart before I had my hip replaced. And I was listening to a, a couple guys. I was working in produce. I think it was putting bananas out or something. And these two guys were standing there talking about the condition of the world. I had no idea who they were. But one of them said, you know what? I think the whole world has gone crazy. And we're all living in an insane asylum. And we're the only ones that are sane. <laughs> and we can see what's going on. But it seems to be the case. Verse 6. It's a continuation of the previous verse. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Um, to the praise of his glorious grace. We should be praising God all the time, all the time. Um, unlimited praise should flow from man because of what we've been given. And it shouldn't depend on our circumstances. If you're having a bad day, praise the Lord. Praise him. He's worthy of praise whether I'm having a good day or not, you know. My consequences or my circumstances shouldn't dictate my relationship with God. 
because he's already paved the way for me to have a good relationship with him, no matter what's going on at this level down here. And he knows what's going on at this level. He knows everything I'm going through. He knows every situation that you'll ever face. And he's there, no matter how bleak the situation may seem. He's there. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And we're blessed because of that. Um, so we ought to be praising him. I just wrote down a, like a list of things. Um, like have the magnitude of God's gifts. His mercy, his grace, salvation, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fellowship with God, and fellowship with other believers. That's just a you know, off the top of my head list. You could come up with so much more that we've been blessed with and that we've been gifted. Um, the close relationships that we, we can have with each other because of the road that Christ has paved. You know, and I think sometimes we miss it because we get too busy with our own lives and our own stuff. And, you know, it's it's got, like, I've got yard work to do. It's spring and of course, that doesn't help. <laughs> Been on that for um, almost 10 weeks now. <laughs> Just because of a little incident with a hip replacement. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, my house is a mess. It's just too hard to clean. You know, I can do well to eat, get meals and, and stuff like that. And you get so wrapped up in your own stuff, you forget to even pray for the people you love. So it's there's so much here that we could be doing more. The literal in the Greek says that we've been be-graced. We've been be-graced. Uh, he's made us gracious. He's given us his grace. And that favor and grace is in the beloved Jesus, the Son. You know, that makes it worthwhile. Makes it worth more than we could even imagine. You know, in the Son, God's only Son has given us this grace that we can walk and live in him. Christ is the source, of course, of all of these blessings, and he's the sphere of these blessings. Colossians 1.14. Hopefully that's the right reference. The most the biggest one is our salvation. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now let's go back to 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He's brought us out of the kingdom of darkness. We look back at that and think, wow, that's the pit. It's the road that lead, led to hell. And he took us off that road and put us on that, that narrow way to heaven that few find. What a privilege. What a privilege. Can you imagine 
God has given that to us. All of these blessings can be enjoyed by the believer. The, um, the tense for that word is in the continuous presence. And a good way of stating it is we have and are still having all of these blessings. We have them and we're still having them. And we're going to still be having them for all eternity. You know, this, this life, this Christian life that we live now is just a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. You know, I, I can't imagine waiting to see those that I love that have gone on before me. You know, can, can you just imagine that? People you have loved that have died and, and gone on before us. We're going to see them someday. They just beat us there. <laughs> I'm jealous sometimes. It's like, I want to be there. And I pray every day, you know, for the peace of Jerusalem, because that means Jesus' return. This keeps falling down. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I'm going to go right into verse 8 because it's part of the same sentence according to the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Um, Jesus redeemed us out of that pit. He paid the price to buy us out of sinfulness. You go back to the book of Hosea. Hosea is a very interesting book because God told Hosea to marry a wife of adultery. And he did, in obedience to God. And after having three kids with this woman, she decides she wants to go back to her old life. So off she goes to live a life of prostitution. You know what Hosea did? Hosea tracked her down and bought her out of prostitution to be his wife again. That's what God does for us. We've prostituted ourselves to other religions, other, other gods, other things that we've worshipped before we became a Christian, and maybe still after we became a Christian. But God in his great love hunts us down buys us back. What a beautiful picture. At the time, it was a lesson for Israel because they were in captivity. They had sinned and gone over the deep end for the hundredth time, and God was promising that he would buy them back to be his bride again, to be his chosen people. You know, we're... we're reaping the blessings of that. We're totally reaping the blessings of that. And of course, it's through his blood only that reflects the ransom price for us, was Jesus Christ's own precious blood. He was the only spotless person, man, to ever live on this earth 
fully God, fully man, never sinned. Can you imagine? I don't know how he made it through his childhood. You ever think about that, how sinful little children can be? But Jesus never sinned. And we have to believe that he never sinned in his childhood. You know? When I think the first word most kids learn is mine. Mine. It's mine. Give it back. If they don't get it back, what do they do? Start screaming and kicking and hitting and all kinds of evil. But it's his blood that ransomed us. Our bondage to sin was the most costly redemption ever. Nothing has ever been redeemed at a higher price. Nothing in all of this world. If I had a billion dollars, I couldn't buy salvation for this world. The only one that could buy salvation for this world was Jesus. And he paid the price on the cross for my sin, for your sin. Makes you want to love him all the more. Leviticus 17, 11, and 12 foreshadowed Jesus' atonement. It's talking about how the only thing that could be there. Oh, you can read it up there. For the life of the creature was in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor any foreigner residing among you eat blood. The blood was precious, even in an animal. You weren't allowed to eat it because the life of the blood was in the animal. The life of Jesus Christ was in his blood. And that's the blood he shed to give us life. What a great gift. There's nothing I could do in return. Nothing that would ever make up for the the price he paid for me. Forgiveness means loosing someone from what binds them. And it can also mean to send away, but you know, when we forgive someone, we loose them from what binds them. If they someone has sinned against us, that's why it's so important to forgive people of their sins. Number one, if we don't forgive sin, we won't be forgiven. Jesus makes that very clear when he gives the the prayer, teaches his disciples to pray. You know, he, right after he finishes the prayer, he goes, yeah, yeah, if you don't forgive others their sins against you, you won't be forgiven. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I desperately need God's forgiveness, which means I have to forgive others when they sin against me. And sometimes that comes at a great price, but it means to loose them of that which binds them. Sin is a debt. All sin creates a debt. That's why we talk about, you know, salvation in terms of redemption. I created a debt with my sin. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. There's no way I could pay for it. Even if I gave my life, my life isn't worth enough to ransom my life from hell. Jesus had to do that. Um, 
you know, so it's it's so important that we we look at, you know, how we forgive and how important it is to forgive. Um, let's look at Matthew 18, 23 to 35. And we will probably come close to finishing there. I know we didn't get very far. I would have liked to. Yeah, we, let's do eight. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Um, I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there there am I with them. Um, I'm not going to keep going. I think we're going to stop there. But he's talking about, you know, how we reconcile with each other. And this whole passage here talks about the legal terminology of, like, the forgiveness that we receive and that we give. And it's it's very interesting because it's talking about when two of you on earth agree about anything, it's talking about forgiveness. It's not talking about, oh, fight. Sean, Shane, can you agree with me that I need a Cadillac and God will give me a Cadillac? No, that's not not at all what they're talking about here. It's talking about forgiveness. Shane, will you agree with me that I need to forgive someone and, and pray together? And, and, and because we're doing that and agreeing on it, God is going to forgive me. And he's also going to extend that forgiveness to the person that I forgave. You know, Jesus said, if you forgive, I'll forgive. You know, so it's a wonderful thing. It's a gift that we can give or withhold. But it's not a good gift to withhold. It's a gift we need to give and give freely and, and give um, without reservation. I can I can tell you there's been times in my life it's been hard to forgive. Of course it is. Um, I built a house so that my parents could move in with me and I could take care of them. And I hired a friend who was a Christian contractor. And right near the end of the job, when there was still quite a bit left to do, he walked off the job because I confronted him on the fact that he owed the subs over 30,000 and uh, there was still about 50,000 left to do on the house and I'd already paid him most of the contract price. And, you know, that wasn't an easy debt to forgive. I'll, I'll never see a penny of it. So I had to forgive it. I, I wrote him a letter forgiven him of it never heard a thing in return not one thing but you know what i'm free i am free because i forgave if you don't forgive you're not free and god wants us to be free 
He wants us to live in freedom and walk in freedom and to freely forgive like he freely forgave us. And the amazing thing is this verse talks about this is all according to the riches of God's grace. You know, I I thought of a little illustration. If you gave me a billion dollars and eternity, or you gave me forgiveness and eternity, which would you choose? Forgiveness and eternity. Because if you weren't forgiven and you had to go through eternity unforgiven, what a horrible eternity that would be. I'd rather have the forgiveness than a billion dollars any day. The billion dollars is going to be worthless someday. But my forgiveness has eternal value for all eternity. There's there's never going to be a day when my forgiveness isn't of value. Of great value. And, and verse 8 here, um, you got to read them together. It's easier if you read them together, but I'll just read 8 so we can finish up here. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God is the one that lavishes his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness on us. I love that word. lavished. God is not stingy. God lavishes his grace and mercy on us. The only thing I can compare it to is standing out in a torrential downpour. The rain is being lavished on me. But in this situation here with God, it's his mercy and his grace that he has lavished on us. And it says, with all wisdom and understanding. This is a little tricky because there's two ways you can interpret that. It's either, number one, God has the wisdom and understanding and used it to lavish grace on us. Or he lavished wisdom and grace on us along or wisdom and knowledge and understanding along with grace. In the Greek, it could be taken either way, but either way is wonderful. I love to think of God using his wisdom to lavish grace on us. But I also love the thought of the gift of wisdom and understanding that he lavishes on us too. So either way you interpret it, it's wonderful. It's the word of God. It's the truth. And it's just so beautiful. Um, understanding and insight is the discernment that leads to right action. I love that thought. Wisdom, understanding is the discernment to right action. It helps us to decide the right way to go, the right thing to say, the right thing to do, the right gift to give. He's always lavishing us with wisdom. James talks about if any man lacks wisdom, let let him ask God who gives freely. So if you lack wisdom, just ask God. It's a gift that he lavishes on us with all the other ones. He wants us to be his children. He wants us to have the good things of our salvation. And I'm going to finish right there. Um, 
We got through eight verses. Um, that's pretty good for me sometimes because I tend to go into depth a lot. Um, I love teaching the Word of God because I love the Word of God, and it's just so powerful, and it's so freeing, and it gives us the liberty that we need. Well, let's pray. Holy Father, how could we not just love you so much tonight, Lord? How could we not just love you? Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and the generosity with which you've given it to us, Lord. And this passage is so important because it lets us know who we are in you and how we need to, to walk and, and the example that we need to be for others, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to take this passage away with us and and to dig deeper into this, this book, Lord, and help us to study it and to, to meditate on it and to give you the glory for all that you do, Lord. And, and we thank you, Lord, for this crowd that's come out faithfully tonight, Lord. We ask your, your richest blessings on them for coming out, Lord. And we, we give you the praise and the glory for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.